What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. It's time for Justice Matters with former federal prosecutor and MSNBC analyst, Glenn Kirshner. In his long-form weekend podcast, Glenn discusses government reform, and he runs down the legal recap of the week. First up, the big win for E. Jean Carroll in her sexual assault and defamation case. Welcome to the weekend edition of Justice Matters. And friends, today I want to start with a prediction. Former President Donald Trump will spend the rest of his miserable life on the wrong side of the V. What do I mean by that? Well, Donald Trump just lost and lost big, maybe I should say bigly, in a lawsuit brought against him by E. Jean Carroll for sexual assault and defamation. The name of that case, that case is captioned or titled E. Jean Carroll V. versus Donald Trump. Donald Trump is criminally indicted in a case in New York, captioned, the people of New York v. versus Donald J. Trump. This summer, Donald Trump will find himself indicted in a case that will be captioned, the people of Georgia v. versus Donald J. Trump. He will then find himself a defendant in a case captioned, United States of America v. Donald Trump. By the way, there will be a second and perhaps even a third case captioned United States of America v. Donald Trump. So friends, that is why I say he will spend the rest of his miserable life on the wrong side of the V. And we are here for all of it, aren't we friends? Because accountability for one's crimes means something, doesn't it? So let's start our weekend chat with a recap of some of the most important legal stories of the week, and then we're going to transition to our weekly discussion on reform, reforming government and its institutions, how to do better what we need to do to move our direction forward, you know, out of this morass, out of this quagmire out of this justice stalemate we seem to have been stuck in for years now and yes I'm hoping that the E. Jean Carroll verdict helps break the logjam and yes I'm hoping the criminal prosecution in New York helps the waters of justice start to flow downstream downriver but we're still on the front end of this fight for accountability and justice and we're going to talk about for example how the brand new indictment of congressman george the great pretender santos impacts the justice calculus 
But first, let's knock out our legal recap. I do want to start with E. Jean Carroll's historic win over Donald Trump. She defeated Donald Trump. Let's face it, she crushed Donald Trump in a lawsuit she brought for sexual assault and defamation. Donald Trump's defense attorney, you know, Joey Takapina, forget about it, spent the whole trial trying to demonize E. Jean Carroll, accusing her of being a liar, even though the jury clearly and definitively found her to be truthful. And you know, maybe a $5 million jury verdict is some of the best revenge. A jury unanimously declared that Trump sexually abused and then defamed, maliciously lied about Miss Carroll, and she was entitled to damages, both compensatory damages and punitive damages in the amount of $5 million. Now friends, let me tell you, I tried a lot of cases in 30 years as a prosecutor, and yes, they were criminal cases. I wasn't a civil litigator, and the E. Jean Carroll suit was a civil lawsuit. But I can tell you, when a jury reaches a verdict in like two and a half hours, under three hours, that's not just a verdict, that's a statement. It's a smackdown. You know, it's a, a verdict with multiple exclamation points. It's a statement that Donald Trump did these things and he should be made to pay $5 million in compensatory and punitive damages. Let me take on the punitive damages part, right? The compensatory damages were awarded by the jury for the damage he did to E. Jean Carroll, her reputational harm, the damage to her financial prospects, the harm he did to her emotionally, emotional distress, the pain and suffering he caused. Punitive damages, those are awarded to punish Donald Trump for his maliciousness, among other things. And those punitive damages are designed to both punish the offender and to deter the offender from offending again in the future. Well, was Donald Trump deterred? No, of course he wasn't. He immediately began posting on his third-rate social media platform defamatory comments about E. Jean Carroll. And then, oh boy, he went on this ill-advised CNN town hall and made more defamatory statements about Miss Carroll. Not only was he not deterred by the jury's verdict, he was emboldened, right? Notwithstanding a $5 million judgment, he continued to engage in this horrific behavior that got him successfully sued in the first place. And now the reporting is, Miss Carroll is considering yet another defamation suit, which I contend her attorneys could probably win in their sleep against Donald Trump. Maybe take him for 10 million this time, maybe 100 million, because clearly he refuses to learn his lesson and he refuses to stop harming people by defaming them. 
you know, let's hope that somebody other than E. Jean Carroll begins to do the heavy lifting of holding Donald Trump accountable. Like, I don't know, maybe our institutions of government. But I'm getting ahead of myself, friends. I, for one, think our nation should thank E. Jean Carroll for being one of the first ones willing to step up, take Donald Trump to court, and whoop him for his misconduct. Coming up, a New York judge has placed some restrictions on what Donald Trump can say and do regarding his case. Will he defy the judge? This is Justice Matters. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. A new order issued by a New York judge states what Donald Trump can and can't say about the Stormy Daniels hush money case. Here's Glenn with the details. Okay, friends, next story. Judge Juan Mershon. The judge presiding over Donald Trump's criminal prosecution in New York issued what's called a protective order, which is a type of gag order, prohibiting Donald Trump from doing certain things with the evidence that the district attorney, Alvin Bragg's prosecutors, will begin to give Donald Trump's defense attorneys in discovery. Judge Mershon sided with the prosecutors who filed a motion seeking the protective order saying that, look, Judge, Donald Trump has a demonstrated habit, pattern, proclivity, practice of threatening and intimidating and harassing prosecutors and their family members, judges and their family members, grand jurors, trial jurors, witnesses, and others And Judge Mershon agreed with the prosecutors and issued a protective order. It's an order that limits what Donald Trump can and what he cannot do with the evidence the prosecutors are providing to his defense attorneys. And it limits him in three ways. So let me just kind of summarize the protective order that was issued by Judge Mershon. One, it says Donald Trump can look at some of the evidence provided by the prosecutors in discovery, but he may not disclose it, he may not disseminate it, he may not post it on social media platforms. That's the first limitation. Then there's a second category of evidence that Judge Mershon said, oh, yeah, Donald Trump 
can look at that evidence, but only if his defense lawyers are there looking over his shoulder. In other words, other people have to babysit Donald Trump while he looks at the second category of evidence. And then there's a third batch, friends, and this is my favorite. The third batch of evidence includes some information that was extracted from, recovered from, taken out of cell phones of witnesses. Witnesses, cell phones. As an aside, when we get cell phones, when prosecutors get cell phones that are relevant to a case, we will have electronic forensics experts extract all of the information out of the cell phone. And I can tell you, friends, if you print it out, if you made hard copies of everything that was in our cell phones, it would fill storage room after storage room, these little handheld computers of ours. So the forensic experts will extract everything out of the cell phone, and then it is packaged up and provided to the defense attorneys so they can prepare to defend against the charges. And with respect to some of that evidence and information that Alvin Bragg's prosecutors collected from the cell phones of witnesses in the case, Judge Mershon said, oh, Donald Trump can't even look at it, right? So the first category he can look at, but can't disseminate or post it. The second category he can look at only if he's being babysat by adults. And the third category of evidence Donald Trump can't even look at because of the danger he poses to witnesses. Now, Judge Mershon did give the defense team a little bit of an escape clause, said, well, if the defense attorneys believe Donald Trump needs to look at it, then you can apply to me, the judge, and, and I'll decide whether Donald Trump gets to set eyes on anything in that third batch of evidence. You know what, friends? I sought protective orders like this from time to time when I was prosecuting cases. You know when I applied to a judge for these kind of protective orders? When I was prosecuting violent criminals, when I was prosecuting criminal gangs, criminal organizations, when I was prosecuting RICO cases, you know, when it became necessary to limit what a defendant could see or what a defendant could do with certain evidence. So now Donald Trump is a proud member of an ignoble group of defendants, violent defendants, RICO defendants, and Donald Trump. These are the people for whom prosecutors need protective orders. And friends, here's a late-breaking related news story that was just published by the AP showing that Judge Mershon is actually going the extra mile with Donald Trump. Here's the headline. Trump to get schooled on rules after district attorney worries he'll use evidence to slam witnesses. What is that story about? Well, Judge Mershon said Donald Trump will appear at a hearing on May 23rd to watch a video about what he may not do with evidence. That's right. 
The judge is going to school Donald Trump like he's a third grader, with apologies to third graders. And let me let you in on a little secret, friends. Judge Mershon is not doing that, believing that if Donald Trump watches a video tutorial about what he can and can't do with the evidence that Donald Trump will abide by the rules and the conditions the judge has set for him. No, Judge Mershon just ordered this, this little third grade tutorial of Donald Trump. So when Donald Trump violates the conditions set by the judge, not if, but when he violates those conditions, Judge Mershon can hold him in contempt confident in the knowledge that Donald Trump specifically was put on notice, right? He had the ins and outs, the do's and don'ts explained to him regarding Judge Mershon's protective order so the judge can comfortably hold him accountable, find that he violated those conditions given that he was compelled to watch this tutorial. Your friends, this has got to be the longest run-up to accountability for a criminal that I have ever seen. Coming up next, a new interview with Trump's former attorney general is turning heads and raising eyebrows. Are his sycophants throwing in the towel? This is Justice Matters. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Fox News host Geraldo Rivera asked former Attorney General Bill Barr if Donald Trump is fit to be in the White House. Glenn says Barr's answer was not what you might expect. Okay, friends, let's do a lightning round for this next story. It has to do with the man who weaponized and corrupted the Department of Justice for Donald Trump. Yes, that would be Bill Barr. Or back in the 1990s, the early 90s, William Sapphire referred to Bill Barr as the, quote, cover-up general when Barr corruptly went about trying to assist the Iran-Contra criminals. And then, you know, he came back like a bad habit that America couldn't shake. Bill Barr came back as attorney general a second time. He doubled down. He weaponized and corrupted the Department of Justice for Donald Trump. And this week, Bill Barr accidentally let a little bit of truth slip out. Man, I hate it when that happens, right? 
Bill Barr was being interviewed somewhere or another, and Geraldo Rivera, of all people, was in the audience and asked Bill Barr the following question. Is Donald Trump fit to be President of the United States? And here, my friends, is a word-for-word transcript of Bill Barr's answer to that question. Quote, This is the way I'll answer that, Geraldo, which is if you believe in his policies, he being Donald Trump, what he's advertising is his policies, he is the last person who could actually execute them and achieve them. He, Donald Trump, does not have the discipline, he does not have the ability for strategic thinking and linear thinking, or setting priorities, or how to get things done in the system. It is a horror show when he, Donald Trump, is left to his own devices. And so you may want his policies, but Trump will not deliver Trump policies. He will deliver chaos. And if anything, lead to a backlash that will set his policies further back than they otherwise would be. To which Geraldo Rivera responded, that's a very direct answer. And that, as Forrest Gump would say, is all I'm going to say about that. So let's move on to our last legal update. And I'm going to combine two stories into one. The indictment of George the Great Pretender Santos and Donald Trump's town hall meeting where he offered nothing but a stream of lies and witch hunt claims. But let's start with the good news. George Santos has found himself on the wrong side of the V. United States of America versus George Anthony DeVolder Santos and assorted other names. That's right, friends. In just a matter of months since learning that George Santos committed all kinds of crimes, the Department of Justice promptly indicted him. You can already see where I'm going with this one, right, friends? This political nobody, George Santos, gets indicted within months of being sworn in as a member of Congress, indicted on 13 criminal counts that include five counts of wire fraud, three counts of unlawful money transactions, one count of theft of public money, two additional counts of wire fraud specifically, get ready for this one, for fraudulent application for and receipt of unemployment benefits, It seems like there is no pot of money from which Georgie boy won't steal. And two counts of false statements to the House of Representatives on disclosure forms. I tried to do some quick math and add up the potential maximum punishment if he were convicted of all these crimes, and it's well in excess of 100 years, something like 190 years. And then When Georgie Boy was arraigned on this indictment, his first court appearance, 
Somebody posted a half a million dollar bond to secure his release. Be interested to know where that money came from, or should I say who that money came from. And what was the first thing upon his release, George Santos started screaming from the rooftops. Witch hunt, witch hunt, witch hunt. Which makes for a nice segue into Donald Trump's town hall, his lie fest, his bullshit palooza. First off, I find it disturbing, troubling, upsetting that CNN decided to hand a microphone and a platform to a man who tried to violently stop the transfer of presidential power. CNN handed a microphone and a platform to a man who tried to override the express will of the American voters. CNN handed a microphone and a platform to a man who, in a very real sense, tried to end American democracy on January 6th, 2021. CNN apparently thought it was a good idea to give that man a microphone and a platform so he could spout his lies so he could continue to fool those Americans who are gullible enough or hateful enough or who are either unwilling or unable to discern fact from fiction. And what did Donald Trump spout over and over and over again? Witch hunt, witch hunt, witch hunt. Donald Trump has been screaming witch hunt for six or seven years now and the Department of Justice has not brought a single solitary criminal charge against Donald Trump for any of the crimes that he inarguably committed. Coming up, Glenn moves to his topic of reform. Can we get the DOJ to indict criminals in a timely manner? This is Justice Matters. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This week, we return to the idea of timely accountability regarding the Department of Justice pressing charges against famous or wealthy criminals. Here's Glenn to explain. So, friends, let's sort of move together into our reform discussion. And it's not unlike discussions we've had in the past, but we have obviously reached critical mass, critical mass and beyond. Is that a thing? Is that like infinity and beyond? You know... I read a post today that made my heart sink. And 
it makes me want to return to the topic of the need for timely accountability, timely overt law enforcement action, timely indictments, the kind of indictment we just saw for George Santos, right? We know it's possible. We know the Department of Justice can bring criminal charges in a timely manner. They just did it for old Georgie boy. Here's the post that made my heart sink. Quote, there are a growing number of students, young people, who are beginning to say that the things being said about Donald Trump committing crimes must not be true because he's still free. He hasn't been charged with anything. Think about the message the Department of Justice sends to those young people day in and day out. We know that Donald Trump launched an attack on the U.S. Capitol nearly two and a half years ago now, and yet there hasn't been one minute of accountability for what he did. So the message is being sent and continues to be sent every day that maybe therefore he really didn't do anything wrong. Maybe this is a witch hunt. Maybe it's just political retribution, right? Donald Trump took classified documents from the White House to his Florida home, Mar-a-Lago, nearly two and a half years ago now, and there hasn't been a single minute of accountability, not a single solitary criminal charge for any of it. So apparently people are beginning to say, young people, students, maybe he really didn't do anything wrong. Maybe this really is a witch hunt, political retribution. Because surely, surely if Donald Trump committed crimes on and around January 6, 2021, or if he committed crimes back in January 2021 when he took all of those classified documents with him down to Mar-a-Lago, surely law enforcement would have held him accountable years ago. So let me read the post again. There are a growing number, there are growing numbers of students, young people, who are beginning to say that the things being said about Donald Trump committing crimes must not be true because he's still free and he hasn't been charged with anything. I don't know if the Department of Justice is aware that it is hardening that opinion, and not just in young people, but across the spectrum. And not only are they hardening that opinion that this whole damn thing must be a witch hunt, but Donald Trump now gets a platform on cable news to reinforce that opinion. And then, you know, the people who know in their hearts and in their minds that Donald Trump committed crime after crime after crime after crime, not only after he left the presidency, but while he was in the Oval Office, you know, our frustration with the complete absence of overt law enforcement action against Donald Trump really starts to shake our confidence in the legitimacy and the competence and the integrity of the Department of Justice. It erodes confidence when a man who now has a cable news platform to spout his witch hunt lies seems to be reinforced.
by DOJ's steadfast refusal years after these crimes appear to have been committed to do anything about them. So CNN gives Trump a platform where he can attempt to seize the power of the presidency again, notwithstanding the fact that he tried to violently end our democracy once before. You know, this is dispiriting. It's depressing. It's infuriating. It's dangerous. And those of us who are law-abiding and who have a, a deep-seated and enduring love of democracy, you know, a love of a truly representative democracy here in America are having our confidence tested that, you know, right will win out at the end of the day. But our determination is steadfast. Our resolve is strong and as exhausting as this damn fight for justice is, it is just as energizing. And we won't stop fighting ever, ever, because justice matters. But P.S. DOJ, would it kill you to indict the man for any of his crimes? Pick a crime, any crime. For gosh sakes, there are so many to choose from. Come on. Let's roll. All right, friends, let's finish on a positive note. And it's a positive note about failure. Just stick with me here for a minute. You'll see where I'm going. Let's start our short discussion about failure with a really heartwarming note that somebody posted to me recently. Her name is Wanda. She's a, a high school English and journalism teacher. And here is what Wanda posted. And let me just set it up by saying, if you watch my YouTube channel, Justice Matters with Glenn Kirshner, where I post daily legal analysis videos, each day I rotate two books that sit underneath my statue of Abraham Lincoln. And my goal is to have the titles of those books at least loosely correspond to some aspect of the legal issue of the day that I'm discussing in the video. Sometimes I succeed, sometimes I don't in making that connection, that link between the book titles and the video topic. But against that backdrop, here is the comment from Wanda, a high school English and journalism teacher. She said, I've noticed that as a retired high school English and journalism teacher, I'm always looking to see what books you've chosen. I always enjoy and have learned much from your Justice Matters video clips. Thanks so much. And here's how I responded to Wanda. I said, thank you for the kind words, Wanda, and for the work you do. One of my important mentors was a journalism professor, Clark Mollenhoff. He pulled my butt out of the fire as a college student who was failing accounting and economics classes. He had me switch to journalism and I loved it. You know, I really do love and very much appreciate the kind messages and comments and posts that I receive as a result of our daily Justice Matters work. And Wanda's post made me wanted to revisit just briefly the path that I took through college and the topic of failure. 
You know, at least for me, failure has always been the greatest teacher. And I've always maintained that we learn more from our failures than our successes. Maybe that's why I feel like I've learned so much over my lifetime. I've certainly failed plenty. And with your kind indulgence, I want to read one of my favorite quotes, probably my favorite quote about the power and the value of failure. It's from basketball legend Michael Jordan. I'm sure many of you have seen this quote, read this quote before, but it's always struck me as powerful and important. And here's how it reads. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been entrusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. And what I was referencing in my reply to Wanda's really heartwarming comment was my own failure in college. I attended Washington and Lee University undergrad down in Lexington, Virginia. And, you know, I had no idea as I was entering college what I wanted to be or what I wanted to major in. I did know that I wanted to serve in the United States military. Specifically, I wanted to serve in the Army. My pop had served in the Army and actually retired as an Army reservist. He was a career-long high school football coach and wrestling coach. And so I knew I was interested in serving in the Army, but I also had an affinity for law enforcement. I knew I didn't want to be a police officer, but I felt like I was drawn to law enforcement generally, and someday I'll tell the backstory about why I had these aspirations to serve in the military and to somehow become involved in law enforcement. But when I landed at Washington and Lee University, Frankly, I was most interested in playing football because of my pop's profession as a high school football coach. I think football kind of played an outsized role in my life growing up. And frankly, I was less intent on studying, and I don't think I cared that much what my major was going to be, or at least I had no idea what my major was, was going to be. And I sort of just fell into being a business major. I took classes like accounting and macroeconomics or microeconomics. I can't really tell you what the difference is at this point between those two. But um, I took a bunch of business courses my first semester, sophomore year. First year, I took all the kind of normal distribution requirements. And my sophomore year, enrolled in all those business classes, I was failing spectacularly failing all of those business classes. Now, I learned pretty quickly that not only did I have no interest in business, but I had no aptitude for business classes, and I was failing out of college. And thank goodness, I had a mentor and a faculty advisor by the name of Clark Mollenhoff. Professor Mollenhoff was an investigative journalist before he came to Washington and Lee University and started teaching journalism. He was a Pulitzer Prize winning investigative journalist for the Des Moines Register. And thank goodness, he was my assigned faculty advisor. 
because he took me under his wing. He said, Glenn, you suck at business, or at least at business classes, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to withdraw from the university, I guess rather than failing and leaving all of those bad grades on my resume, my transcript. He said, you're going to withdraw from the university, you're going to reapply, you're going to immediately come back second semester your sophomore year, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to be a journalism major. You're going to take all of my courses. Boy, I was blessed to have known Professor Clark Mollenhoff. You know, I think maybe because he had played center on his college football team, I was the center on my college football team, and I think he just sort of took an interest in me. And when he told me I was going to withdraw from the university, reapply, be a journalism major, take all of his courses, I said, yes, sir. And I did. And he gave me all A's in all of his courses, though frankly I don't think I deserved them. Maybe I did. But what I discovered was that I loved the study of journalism. I didn't necessarily want to be a journalist, but I really enjoyed how, you know, learning how to write news articles, learning how to interview people with a view toward getting the information that was valuable and that was important to the story I was intending to write. And it turned out to be a really great undergraduate course of study that prepared me well for law school. And I will forever stand on the shoulders of the late Professor Clark Mollenhoff. But I tell that story just to say, you know, failure is a funny thing. You know, it is as Michael Jordan said, when we fail over and over and over again, you know, that is why we end up succeeding. So let me end with this today, friends. I was once asked to give a short keynote address to the graduating sociology and criminal justice majors at George Washington University, where I teach criminal justice undergrad. And I ended up telling the graduates that my hope for them upon graduation and entering the workforce is that they will get out there and fail. Because by failing, ultimately, they will succeed. Friends, thank you for tuning in to today's Justice Matters chat. You can find me elsewhere on my YouTube channel, Justice Matters with Glenn Kirshner. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And of course, you can find these audio podcasts wherever you generally get your podcasts. You can also go to my website, glennkirshner.com, drop me a message or a question. And finally, if you're interested in more formally supporting our all-volunteer work here at Justice Matters, you can go over to patreon.com. You can sign up to become a patron, and if you do, I'll send you some Team Justice and Justice Matters stickers and a personal handwritten note of thanks, and you'll get access to some behind-the-scenes stuff about sort of how we do what we do here at Justice Matters. And as always, friends, please stay safe, please stay tuned, and I look forward to talking with you all again soon.